Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial Methodist Church. Each week, we will open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in Jesus' footsteps. The Wesleyan Covenant Prayer has been part of Methodist tradition since the time of John Wesley himself. In the message today, we are reminded that a covenant is more than a contract. The foundation of covenant is relationship. When Jesus exhorts his disciples to abide in him, he is talking about the kind of relationship that is intimate and transformational. As followers of Jesus, we are called to surrender ourselves to that kind of relationship with him. In our message today, we will explore some of the how and why of abiding in Christ. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. The idea of covenant is woven throughout all of Scripture. You you just see it uh, from front to back. Uh, There are several times that you see God establishing covenant in one way or another. Uh, I mean, you could begin in the beginning. Um, Take, for instance, uh, Noah, that God establishes a covenant with humanity essentially through Noah. just shortly after that, God establishes a covenant through, uh, through Abraham to raise up a people with a purpose. It's a mission that he would accomplish. A little bit later, you read in the book of Exodus how God uh, follows through on that promise and through, through Moses establishes a covenant with that people in, in the wilderness. So God, God is a covenant God and God is always extending to his chosen ones covenant. And I know that this would surprise nobody here, but when it comes to covenant relationship between God and humanity, God is always faithful, not so much with us. Repeatedly, we fall short of upholding our end of covenant. That's just kind of seems to be what we do. But amazingly, God continues to seek covenant with us and to give us the opportunity to reestablish covenant. Even back in the Old Testament, was, there were those opportunities. In 2 Kings chapter 23, you read of a, a time when King Josiah had... Uh, the, 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 the word of, of the law had been lost in the house of God. Can figure that. I mean, I can't even get my mind around that. God's word in God's house had become misplaced, but suddenly it, you know, somebody found it and brought it to the king. So the king called everybody together and, and reestablished the covenant of God. And we know that that recommitment was completely sincere. And again, I know it won't surprise anybody when I tell you that eventually they failed to uphold the covenant again. But that's just kind of the way it goes. And then through the prophet Jeremiah, there was a day foreseen. Jeremiah talks about this. The word of the Lord came to him. It's recorded in Jeremiah chapter 31. And Jeremiah says, there's going to be a day, God says, when I will make a new covenant with my people. And I will write my law not on tablets of stone, but I will write my law upon their hearts. And what Jeremiah is foreseeing is a time when 
when God is going to establish covenant in a transformational way. He's, he's seeing something different. It's, it's like he's saying, you know, I, I, I put my word out there before them, and they see it, they hear it, they, they, they memorize it, they know it, but they, something is keeping them from, from upholding it. And, and God says, I'm going to put it on their hearts so that something will change, so that our, our nature, our, our, our very inward being is going to transform to allow us to keep covenant. It will be different. And that kind of transformation is what is anticipated and described when we get over in John and, and Jesus starts talking to his followers about this concept of abiding. It's one of those powerful scriptural terms that I think we, uh, we hear so many times that we fail to... Uh, appreciate deeply when Jesus says in John 15 to his disciples you need to abide in me let's begin by remembering what the word means in the first place it means simply means to remain okay let me give you a picture all right here in a little bit uh, we're all going to get up and we're going to do what well, never mind because there could be a lot of answers to that We're all going to leave, right? Well, let's just say that all of you walk out the door and I stay right here. Yes, I'll miss lunch. But I will be, what you might say, abiding. Like, this is where I am and this is where I'm going to stay. It's not moving here, there, and yonder. It's, it's staying and when Jesus is talking about that, he's talking about a relational dynamic that is consistent. And that consistency is what Jesus says is, is the key that unlocks the ability to have faithful covenant together. We look at this analogy... And it tells us some things that I, I want to mention. The, the, the disclaimer I want to say before we go into this is that when, anytime you see an analogy in the Bible, let it speak to what it speaks. Let it say what it says and don't make it say any more. Okay? If we take some of these as, as, as just, um, you know, like the ultimate and only truth without holding it with the other things that the Bible says, then we start to misunderstand it. But let it speak. Jesus said, I'm the vine, my father is the vine dresser, and then there are branches, okay? The branches are you. Think, if you will, grapes or figs. That probably was the image that he had in mind. That vine that runs through the entire plant, it feeds all of the branches that, that give the produce. I think probably for us we think of the, you know, trunks of the tree and branches that, that bear the fruit or the nuts out, out, out on the end. But um, whatever it is, that, that he's, I'm, the, I'm the trunk, I'm the vine, and you're the branches, and my father is the one who takes care of it. He dresses it. 
He says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. The one that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts off. And it really sounds harsh, doesn't it? It makes God seem kind of careless and brutal. And I think that's really kind of a misreading. And so I would suggest to you that what we need to take away from that is God is really serious about fruit bearing. He's serious about fruitfulness. He's serious that his people, whether it be the chosen people, the Hebrew people, whether it be his New Testament chosen people, the church, regardless of whom you're talking about, if it's God's people, he's serious about fruitfulness. He has no desire for his people to be set apart and to bear no fruit, no kingdom fruit, no no God-like fruit. And he is so serious about it that he will do whatever is necessary to remove the obstructions from that fruit bearing to happen. He will do it in my life. He will do it in our collective life. He will move in such a way to eliminate the barriers that keep his people from bearing fruit. He's serious about fruit bearing. And because God is serious about fruitfulness, he expects his people to be also. It goes on in verse 4, and Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That relationship between the vine and the branch, or the trunk and the branch, is a life-giving connection. It's vital. There, there is a relationship there by which one nurtures the other. And if that's not happening, then something is wrong in the connection. There will be times that you can observe something that I would think is very interesting. If you look at a tree that is clearly alive, sometimes you will look up in the tree and you'll find dead branches. They don't bear any fruit. There's no leaves growing on them. There's no fruit growing on them. They're just kind of, you know, they look dead. Which is very interesting because they are connected to a living trunk. And if you look at that, you might say, hmm, I wonder what happened. There's life going up this trunk. Why isn't there life going out into the branch? Why isn't there fruit going on out there? Something has happened so that the life-giving capacity of that branch is not flowing out, or, it, or the trunk is not going out into the branch. What do we often do with a branch like that? We cut it down, right? I don't know how you care for your trees, and trust me, don't take plant or tree care advice from me. That's a bad, that's a bad thing to do. But we look at those branches and often we cut them down. We cut it down before it falls down or whatever. We, just, we say it's not doing anything and so we cut it off. Something has happened to the connection. Now, take that analogy and apply it to the people of God. Individuals, congregations, whatever it be. They look like they're connected, but there's no life. There's no fruit. The question you would logically ask is, 
what's wrong? What's wrong with the connection that the life of the life-giving vine is not flowing out into the branch? If you see no life and no fruit, something's wrong with the connection. Right? Jesus goes on in verse 7 and says something very interesting. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What Jesus is implying here, I think making very clear, is that the relationship between the vine and the branch is one in which agreement has been reached. Okay, Agreement has been reached from the branch to the vine. It is like the, vine, the, the, the branch has said, vine, whatever you want, that's what I'm in for. So it's not just about relationship, it's about agreement, that the two become one, one in desire, one in the goals. Let me play with your imagination for a moment. Okay? Imagine, if you would, a conversation between the branch of a tree and the trunk of the tree. Let's just say an oak tree. I'm familiar with oak trees. Okay. Oak trees produce a certain kind of fruit. We call them what? Acorns. All right? They litter my driveway. The goal of the trunk of the tree is to produce what? Fruit, in this case, Acorns, that's what the trunk wants. If the branch says to the trunk, hey, I really have a strong desire to produce acorns. I need nourishment. Would you oblige me in providing what I need so that acorns and oak leaves can bear out on, on the tips of my branches? And the trunk says, certainly. That's what I'm in for. That's, what I'm, that's my goal. That's my desire. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? If my word abides in you and you abide in me, if there's agreement, what does that mean? It means your desires have now become my desires. We are in agreement what we're after. You're desiring the same thing I desire. You are after the same thing I'm after. So ask me what you want. And I will be happy to give it. Because we are in that kind of agreeable relationship together. This, my friends, is a picture of healthy Christian living. Disciples who are bearing fruit. People who have given themselves over to Abandoned commitment to the life giver. Or, to use the short, short term, abiding. Abide in me, I'll abide in you. When that happens, you will see much fruit being born. So the question we might ask is, how do you abide? 
It sounds simple, right? But let's not just assume that it will happen by default. Trust me, it doesn't. A few thoughts that have their grounding in Wesley himself. I'm borrowing his thought. I'm just putting a modern spin on it, okay? First recommendation. Pay attention to your spiritual Life 360. Anybody in here use Life 360? Do you know what Life 360 is? If you don't, let me give you the short version, okay? Life 360 is an application that you can put on your smartphone. So if you have a smartphone, you can use this, okay? What it does is to take advantage of the location ability of your smartphone to, to be able to know where you are, whether you're at the shopping mall or the restaurant or at home or wherever it is, and you put that application on your smartphone, and then you put that on whatever circle of people you want to, your children, your parents, your grandparents, your close friends, whatever it is, your choice. And whatever people you have in your little circle, you can open Life360 at any time, and it will show you where you are, and it will show you where they are. Anytime. Well, it will show you where their phone is. That's kind of the point that people carry their phone. It's a great app if you want to know where you are in relationship to the other people in your circle. Now, you and I, if we, are, if we have given ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ, we need to pay attention to where we are spiritually in proximity to Jesus himself. Okay? It's not just a question of we need to know where God is. He, he's seated on the throne. Okay? And by the Holy Spirit, he sits on the hearts of those who have given themselves to him. The question is, where am I in relationship to where Jesus is? And what I mean by that very simply is, at any given point of any given day, where are my thoughts, my words, my actions in relationship to where God's thoughts words and actions are how close am I and I can ask myself that question anytime I get up in the morning thank you Lord for this new day how often do we do that okay anybody do morning devotions okay great you know sit down maybe get a scripture get a devotional book we get our thoughts centered around God okay we want to make sure that our thoughts and, and, our, and God's thoughts are in the same place. But then we get up and we go about our day. Something bad happens. That never happens to you, right? Stop then. Are my thoughts, my words, my attitudes, my actions, how close are they to Jesus Christ? If you're in class, okay, you're going about your school day, you can ask that Ask yourself that question after every class period. Ask yourself that question while you're sitting at the lunch table with your friends. Ask yourself that question when you're in the midst of a tough job that's really getting the best of you. Ask yourself that question when you're in the board meeting. Do I need to say any more than that? <laughs> Ask yourself that question any time. At any given time, where am I in proximity to where Jesus would be? 
with my thoughts, my attitudes, the words I'm speaking, the inclination of my heart, ask yourself the question. Because every time you ask yourself that question, you're giving yourself the opportunity to check how well you are abiding in Christ. Okay? Let me take that a step further. Be willing to examine yourself. Examining ourselves simply means, Lord, show me where my sin is in my life. Okay? And trust me, we all have it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 10 says, If we say that we have no sin, we make God a liar, and his word is not in, that, in us. Now, there are many things I don't know. One thing I do know, God doesn't lie. And so for me to say, God, I have no sin, is totally off the mark. Sin in itself. I know it's not true. So it's not the question of whether or not I have sin. It's the question of whether or not I'm aware of where it is. I love the words of Psalm 139. Let me read to you the last two verses of this uh, beautiful psalm of, of intimacy between God and, and the writer. Uh, the writer ends this psalm by saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any har harmful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. It is an open plea by the, by the writer to say, Lord, I want to be an open book. Open me up. Shine your light in the darkness of my heart. Unfold it for me and show me where I am off the mark. And it's a powerful thing to do. Because one of the things that humans have the great capacity to do is to fool ourselves. To think we're walking a fine straight line when we're really not. And God is the one who can show us those ways, the actions, the inclinations of our heart where we're off the mark. Be willing to examine yourself. Because every time God shines light into the darkness of your heart, your abiding kicks up a level. Lastly, rely on God to do this. Okay? One, of the great, one of the great lessons that we learn is that when we try to do this in our own strength, we will guarantee what? Failure. Thank you. The course of human history has proven this out. There, there's a powerful scene from the life of Christ. And you're probably familiar. It has a phrase that we throw around very often. We need to remember where we borrowed that phrase from, where we actually get it. Jesus is, is in his last night with his disciples, referring, referencing Matthew 26. They leave, they go out in the middle of the night to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. He has all, all of his disciples with him except Judas. He, he takes off. They get out to the garden. He tells all of them to wait. He goes on a little bit further, takes with him Peter, James, and John, goes a little bit further into the garden, tells them to wait in a certain place and asks them to pray while he goes on a little bit further. He goes on and he's praying. He's, he's, he's He's praying about his ability 
He want his desire to be faithful. That's where he prays, Lord, if this cup could pass from me, yet not my will but yours. He's, he's struggling with that cross that, that he's about to bear. And after he prays, he goes back to Peter, James, and John and finds them doing what? Sleeping. When he has asked them to do what? To pray. And he says, guys, I mean, this is a paraphrase, Guys, not even for an hour could you, could you pray? And then he says to them this phrase that you hear so often, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Like, you, you have to understand that, that evil is afoot. The tempter is at work, and he wants to undermine this crucial God moment. And therefore, unless you want to fail, you need to pray. And that prayer is, is that unlocking of God's power at work in us. That's why he wants them to pray. Because that's where we rely on God's power to do it and not our own. And friends, when we get, when, we, when we're asked to renew covenant to God do not be do not misunderstand that we are asking ourselves one more time to just pick ourselves up by the bootstraps try a little harder so that maybe we can make it one week more before we realize we failed we are inviting God to do in us what we could never do ourselves. To abide. Him in us. And we in Him. So I ask you, I invite you, to renew a covenant today. I don't know where you are in your spiritual life. And there may be some here who have not made a commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you wouldn't consider yourself a professing Christian. It's okay if you're still searching. But I want to speak just for a moment for those who have, who have stood up, who have undergone baptism, who have, who have said, Lord, I, I want to follow you. Let me speak to you for a minute. You're being invited to renew that commitment. God renews his with you. He hasn't failed, but he invites you to renew the commitment with him. And I invite you to do that. And so I just have three questions. Are you willing? Are you sincere? And are you resigned to allow God to sit on the throne of your life? We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can watch our worship services online at www.rmmcwp.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day. 